Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister says he was informed a number of weeks ago about allegations against Major General Danny Fortin. However, because, as is appropriate, I didn't receive uh, details uh, of what, uh, what is uh, being alleged and what's going on uh, in terms of the investigation, um, it would be inappropriate for me to comment uh, on that investigation. The Prime Minister says Quebec can unilaterally amend the Canadian Constitution. I think this is dangerous. I, I don't think this is the type of uh, unilateral uh, action that Quebec or any province should be taking that affects the rights of, of people potentially across the country. And 75% of Canadians will need to be vaccinated before we can reopen the border with the United States. More than 50% of eligible Canadians have received their first dose of vaccine, and many more will be getting their vaccine in the coming weeks. This is good news, and when it's your turn to get vaccinated, please do so. It's Wednesday, May 19th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for being with us today. Well, thanks for the call, Mark. So the Prime Minister says he knew a number of weeks ago that there were allegations against Major General Danny Fortin, who was in charge of the vaccination rollout program. Uh, the Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan apparently knew in March. So I guess the question that a lot of people will be asking was, is, why wasn't something done about this sooner? Yeah, I guess that is the uh, the question that uh, a lot of people will be asking. Certainly the opposition uh, is back on the what did he know, when did he know it, and why didn't he do anything about it at that time. Um, you know, I do suspect there would have been a reluctance uh, at the top of the PMO and the PCO uh, to interrupt or dis- disrupt the vaccine rollout that uh, Major General Forte has been running uh, and by all accounts doing a good job. Um, and But it does seem strange that these things get reported, you know, that, oh, well, so-and-so, General this or Admiral that, there are allegations being made, and it just sounds like everyone goes, oh, really? Oh, interesting. Uh, now carry on, you know? And it, yeah. it, does, it does seem odd that they aren't followed up in more detail, given the fact, and even just the political problems that these other generals have already caused the prime minister. Yeah, does I mean, is it fair to start to look at this as a as a pattern uh, that, you know, I I can understand why some people would say that this government has has been uh, allowing this kind of behavior or these allegations to to persist and and that as there has been uh, a systemic issue, clearly, in the senior ranks of the Canadian military, the government hasn't done a whole lot about it. Yeah, I don't know that I would go so far as to say that, um, you know, they, they really haven't done anything, although it's certainly fair to say that they have not pursued these matters in a vigorous way, and certainly not in the way you would think they would, given the liberal rhetoric over the years on, on you know, uh, against harassment, against sexism, and, and things like that in, in any aspect under their jurisdiction and the military being particularly sensitive and now finding out that the sort of culture of the military 
has allowed this to go on. And, you know, so it, it's the lack of vigor that surprises me a little bit. Uh, you know, it, it, it's also just, you know, you would think for sheer political reasons that the Trudeau people would want to get these things dealt with and put aside so as to cut out some of the harping over it from the opposition, which clearly is just as interested in this as it is in any other aspect of running the country, including the pandemic. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's turn to vaccination in Canada. And uh, there is there is news that we're about to pass the vaccination rate in the United States and on a per capita basis, which I know is encouraging, but we're still not we're still not at the point where we can start to reopen things in many parts of the country. Uh, there, there's talk that we might be able to see Canadians drive to the United States for a COVID vaccination under certain conditions. Also, there's talk of, of uh, reopening the border with the United States at a certain point when Canadians get to a rate of 75% uh, vaccination, which is the number that, that people often throw out as being kind of the threshold for many things to be reopened. So... What's your sense of, of where we stand on vaccinations right now? Well, the Prime Minister said yesterday that, uh, you know, they're talking about three quarters or 75 percent uh, vaccination in Canada before reopening the U.S. border. Uh, you know, the Americans are like, oh, well, problem over. Now we should just be able to go anywhere we want, do anything we want. And we're Americans, so, you know, we, we should be able to go to Canada uh, without any restrictions, but that's, you know, oh, and the other thing was I saw somewhere this morning that the U.S. is hoping to, you know, have a liberalized border situation by the 4th of July. Uh, well, the 4th of July isn't a holiday in Canada, so it has no significance here at all. And, um, you know, the government, I think, would be right in proceeding on this very cautiously, uh, because a lot of the infection that still exists in Canada, and let's not forget, Mark, uh, this week we passed the 25,000 death threshold in Canada from COVID-19. And so I don't see any particular rush to get back in having Americans or people streaming back and forth uncontrolled over the borders. It, it just does not seem like the time to do that. Uh, you know, this thing, it, we're in deep and, you know, there should be a cautious um, approach to slowly removing the restrictions so that they're done. it's done in a safe way. And we shouldn't, the Canadian government should not be, or Canadians more generally, shouldn't be distracted by whatever it is the Americans want. So, uh, you know, there's business and commerce is continuing. Um, you know, the governments on both sides of the border should do everything to make sure that that happens. But for, uh, you know, tourism and traveling around and taking in the view, uh, you know, I don't see any rush to do that. The Rockies will still be there. And you know what? The fall is a beautiful time to visit Canada when all the leaves <laughs> change color. So sure. uh, I don't think the government should be in a rush. Yeah, and the, and the government is uh, putting some money into a plant in, in Mississauga that will be able to manufacture vaccines in the future. So uh, do you see, as a as a result of, of everything we've been through in the last 14 months, that, that in the future Canada will have greater capacity to produce vaccines rather than rely on, on other countries to ship them to Canada? Yeah, I mean, this is absolutely vital, I think, and I don't, 
I don't think too many Canadians would disagree with that, given what has happened here. I mean, they're talking about $200 million uh, for this company in Mississauga, Resilience Biotechnologies, to uh, help them set up to build and to manufacture uh, these mRNA uh, vaccines. Now, you know, this is all part of a, of a peace mark. I mean, yes, the government and, and the Canadians should expect some sort of inquiry or commission or whatever you want to call it into the way COVID was handled by the federal government and the provinces and everybody. I mean, there, there should be a thoroughgoing branch and root investigation of what went on with COVID in Canada. Part of that should be identifying ways in which the country can be better prepared the next time around and having uh, you know domestic capacity to manufacture these vaccines seems like something that is perfectly within our abilities in Canada we have some of the best scientists and and researchers in the world and we we have the capability of 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 carrying this type of thing out and it's for national security of our country so um this shouldn't be a matter of debate. I doubt it will be. Uh, but it is one of the many, many aspects that Canada has to improve on so that we're not caught flat-footed again. All right. So uh, the Prime Minister said yesterday that the province of Quebec can unilaterally amend the Canadian Constitution. This is something that Quebec Premier Francois Legault had raised himself, and he wrote a letter to the federal government uh, related to the province's proposed new language law. This has touched off a lot of reaction. Uh, what do you think about the Prime Minister's uh, agreement with the Quebec government on this? Well, you know, I respectfully disagree with the Prime Minister. Um, and, you know, while I do admit that he probably knows more about the Constitution than me, uh, although I've been covering it for a long time, too. Uh, but I think this is dangerous. I, I don't think this is the type of uh, unilateral uh, action that Quebec or any province should be taking that affects the rights of, of people potentially across the country. Uh, yes, our constitutional amending formula is unwieldy and very difficult to move things uh, ahead. Um, and I do understand the politics behind what's going on in the Legault government in Quebec, but I just don't think it's politically wise or good for national unity and, and the sense of national purpose uh, to allow uh, one province to make unilateral changes that potentially could affect the rights of others. So, um, you know, defending the rights of linguistic minorities is always tricky. Anything to do with the Constitution obviously is loaded politically, and, and kind of a lot of us older folks probably roll our eyes a bit to, to hear it come up again. But it is an important issue, and uh, Quebec has issued a challenge here, and I think it's going to test the political resolve of the Trudeau government and really everyone involved, the other premiers who all have a stake in this, let's face it, and parliament as well. So, you know, let's, let's you know, take this step at a time and have a good, thorough argument about it um, until we get to the point where people are comfortable or we're going to just bring about another issue for conflict later. All right, Dan, great to have your comments on all of this today. Thank you. Okay, Mark. That's Dan Legere, longtime political writer and broadcaster. And when it's your turn to get vaccinated, please do so. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Globe and Mail argues... 
Thanks to the good sense of Canadians, we're about to out-vaccinate the Americans. The Globe writes, Later this week, the share of Canadians who have received their first shot will exceed the share of Americans. This is a sign of how far down the track we are and how fast we're moving. The U.S. is proof that simply having a lot of shots isn't enough. The Americans do not lack for vaccine supply, but there's a growing shortage of willing people. In Canada, vaccines remain in extremely high demand. This country is, suddenly, a lot closer to the end of the pandemic than to the beginning. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues, the job of the Prime Minister is to defend federalism across Canada, including the rights of Anglophones in Quebec. The Sun writes, Quebec Premier François Legault's claim that his province can unilaterally change Canada's constitution to recognize Quebec as a nation and French as its only official and common language has suddenly become a lot more serious. That's because the support of the Canadian government would be needed to approve it, and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau appears to already be on side. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacourt argues the tensions looming between Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden are a welcome return to normal. Delacourt writes, Canada is worried about how far Biden will go down the Buy America path and was watching closely when he paid a call on Michigan, where Governor Gretchen Whitmer has threatened to shut down Line 5. Flags were raised this week when Canada's international trade minister received a list of American grievances. But no one is worrying about tweets from Biden levying tariffs or making threats of trade retaliation. Surprises have gone out of fashion in Canada-U.S. relations, which appears to suit both countries. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will hold a news conference this morning to talk about the Quebec government's proposed new language law. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, at 10.30 a.m., the Bloc leader will discuss his party's wholehearted support for the legislation tabled in the Quebec National Assembly last week by Quebec Premier François Legault. Bill 96 proposes to reinforce Quebec's famous language law, Bill 101. It would further assert the primacy of the French language and reduce francophones' access to English language secondary education. It would also declare French to be the only official language of Quebec. But where things get interesting politically is the legislation's proposal of an amendment to the Canadian Constitution to enshrine French as the sole official language of Quebec in the text of the Canadian Constitution. Now, to do so, the Quebec government is arguing that it can avail itself of a rarely used part of the Constitution, which allows provinces to make amendments on matters that solely affect the province itself. In fact, this past weekend, Premier Legault sent a letter to Prime Minister Trudeau explaining that rationale and making that argument that Quebec can do so unilaterally and completely within the Constitution. However, constitutional scholars are not necessarily in agreement. Several decades ago, New Brunswick tried to avail itself of a similar amendment to do something which it argued was only uh, something that affected only the province of New Brunswick. It wanted to declare itself officially bilingual. In the end, after court challenges, New Brunswick was forced to use a route which saw the Parliament of Canada, the House of Commons and the Senate obliged to vote to give their consent to the constitutional change. So it's far from clear whether Quebec will constitutionally be able to do what it claims it wants to do. And with inevitable challenges coming from within Quebec, especially court challenges from English rights groups, it'll be interesting to see this first round today of what promises to be a drawn-out and escalating debate. 
one which inevitably will draw in the federal government. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with the Prime Minister of Vietnam. Later, he'll be joined by Public Safety Minister Bill Blair and Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna to discuss recent investments in public transportation during a virtual visit to the Scarborough Subway System Extension Project. He will then take part in an Instagram Live with today's parent to discuss support for families. Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will take part in a news conference to provide an update on COVID-19. Canadian Heritage Minister Stephen Gilbeau will make a virtual announcement about funding to restore the historic Welland Central Fire Hall in Welland, Ontario. Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will make a virtual announcement for energy efficiency in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. And Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan will make an announcement about climate action projects in Newfoundland and Labrador. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, May 19th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.